Okay, so I don't know what decade you think is the best decade for music. Uh, lots of people say the 80s were. I'm not sure if I totally agree with that. We've got some head nods, yes. And uh, Tanner, you were born like in the 2000s, right? Is that So yeah, I'm not sure I can really trust your judgment. The 80s, the 70s, okay, and let's think, the 70s maybe. Well, somebody at least got one thing right in the 80s. 1981, a band called Loverboy came out with a song called Working for the Weekend. You remember that song? Everybody's working for the weekend, right? I'm not going to keep going. <laughs> but it's amazing to think about. That's how life kind of used to be. That used to be the norm that you go to work and then you have a weekend. You have a work week and then a weekend, a work week and then a weekend. And something happened along the way. Now, that is now a distant memory. It's almost like vintage, right? We don't know where that went. Somewhere along the way, we started carrying work with us in our pocket, right? And somewhere along the way, we got to where our boss could get in touch with us 24-7 on our cell phone, right? Through a text message. Like whatever we were doing, it could be interrupted by work. Somewhere along the way, even on college campuses, weekends were disrupted. I was talking to some students recently who said that they had an essay due at midnight on a Sunday night. Since when did you have to turn stuff in on the weekend? This is crazy to me, right? This is how our world has gone. Now rest, in general, is just an elusive myth. The most common adjectives describing our lives today are tired, burned out, anxious, and unfulfilled. You think there's a correlation? I think there might be. Well, it turns out our problem is actually much older than technology. Our problem is much older than 1981 and the band called Loverboy. It turns out that this problem can be traced back all the way to the very first day outside the Garden of Eden. Isn't that interesting? The tyranny of the urgent, the epidemic of busyness can be traced through every culture for all time, all the way back to the very first day right after sin entered the world. So could it be that there's an answer? Could it be that there's an escape, a possibility that maybe physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we can be healthy again? Maybe. Is it possible to regain the strength which has been depleted by our striving? Is it possible to finish our work? These are the questions we're left with. Enter the Ten Commandments. Now, most people think Ten Commandments are outdated, irrelevant. They don't matter anymore. They're just symbolic at best. But we know that the Ten Commandments are actually a gift of grace in which God shows us the way that life works best, that God leads us back into flourishing again as humanity. This is good news here, that even though our lives have been derailed by maybe it's your cell phone, maybe it's technology in other ways, maybe it's just work or just cultural and the way we do life in general, there is an answer, an ancient prescription for the epidemic of busyness. And the Ten Commandments include lots of thou shalt nots, but they also include two what we call positive commands. And today we're gonna to zone in on the fourth commandment. It's a positive command. 
It's an answer to our problems. So this command, the fourth commandment, it's about rest. The word rest is not in there in the English language, but it's in there in the Hebrew. And what we'll see is that it is probably of the 10, the easiest command for us to disregard. It's probably the one that we're most likely to lay to the side when other things get in the way. Like probably most of you in the room, if you were confronted with the, uh, the opportunity to steal something, you might go, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. I'm not gonna steal it. If you thought maybe about killing somebody, probably, I hope in this room, you would turn away from that thought and go, I need to repent of that. I'm not gonna do that, I'm not gonna do that. But if for some reason you were confronted with the opportunity to take a break, most of us would come up with 20 reasons why we can't, right? This is how we live. So what are we to do? Well, this command, even though we might most likely disregard it, is very important, even within the Ten Commandments. By word count, this command takes up about 40% of the entire Ten Commandments. Just one command takes up almost half the words of the entire Ten Commandments. If you think about the Bible in a little bit bigger picture, it's repeated 11 times. This one command is repeated 11 times in the first five books of the Bible. The Old Testament in general, it it repeats itself over a hundred times, way more than any other of the Ten Commandments. And then, of course, Jesus continues and fulfills it into the New Testament. So I want to look together today at the fourth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Its words are going to be on the screen. I want to read it for you. I'd love for you to just follow along with me, whether it's in your own Bible or on your phone or on the screen. And just zone in to what God is saying here in this fourth command. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who's within your city gates, for the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh Sabbath day and declared it holy. I want to just confess to you that I'm preaching this command from a place of discovery, not a place of expertise, Okay. But what I'm recognizing personally in my life is a propensity to strife and a great need for Sabbath. I'm also recognizing it pastorally. Um, I'll just take a little aside to, to make you guys aware. If you weren't here last week, I announced that the church has given me a six-week sabbatical period. It's a gift of every seven years for a pastor's tenure. Uh, Moberly gives them six weeks away to just rest and recharge. We call it sabbatical. It's based on this idea, Sabbath. And so for me, that starts tomorrow. Uh, you're not going to miss me though. You've got some great preachers lined up for the next six weeks, far better than, than me. In fact, I would want to be here myself sitting under their preaching. Okay. So come and be part of it. Uh, but then other than that, uh, we've got great ministries and volunteers who are just making the, the ministries of church happen without, lose, without missing a beat. Even above that, you've got Jesus, who is the chief shepherd of the church, who is the one who holds it all together. So you're not really going to miss me that much 
at all over the next six weeks. But what's happened since I announced that and sent out an email and that kind of thing is I've had conversation after conversation after conversation with people from right within this congregation and community who have heard about what I'm doing and they've said, I need that. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm burdened. I'm carrying all this weight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And person after person. So I recognize it personally, but look, I'm also recognizing it pastorally. And I think this might be providential or how God aligned this. You know, I didn't plan to preach this the day before my sabbatical started. I scheduled my sabbatical long before I knew what text was going to come up in preaching. And so it's just God's providence that I'm allowed to preach this today. And hopefully we'll do some justice to it uh, in some way because we need it. God knew we would need this command. He knew we would need it so much that he put it in his top 10. I mean, how can take a break be linked with do not murder? It's just as important, if not more important. He puts it in his top 10 and he actually gives it the most explanation. None of the other commands get as much treatment in the 10 commandments as this command. So it really, really matters. So in verses 8 through 11, what we saw is that God starts with what the command is. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy, right? And then he goes to how we keep it. And then he answers the question, why do we keep the Sabbath? So let's just take a closer look, starting with what is the command? Verse 8. Well, the very first word, verse 8, is the word remember. Now, you and I think of remember as like when I pull my phone out and I scroll through my photos and I'm looking for like old photos of my kids and I want to see like, what were they like when they were babies? Oh, I missed that time, right? Uh, I just want to like hear their little baby voice again, right? So I play that little video and it's just a great little mental exercise. That's what remembering is for us. But in the Hebrew uh, culture, the idea of remember carried so much more weight. It was, yes, about recalling things to memory, but it was also about recalibrating our lives to a deeper truth. So it is recalling. It's also recalibrating. Like if you're driving down I-20 and you see the speed limit sign, which is 75, unless you're in Marshall. FYI, guys, this changed in the last year or two. So go 70 through Marshall, okay? But if you're going down the interstate, anywhere else, you're going 75 miles an hour, hopefully not more. But if you start to go faster, there's another sign coming a couple miles down the road that says the same thing again, right? 75, speed limit. And then a couple miles later, another one. Those aren't just there for mental exercises. I mean, if you're speeding and you see that sign, you ought not only say, oh, the speed limit's 75, that's great. I'll keep going as fast as I want. It's there to remind you and also so that you will recalibrate your speed. So God gives us a speed limit sign every seven days called the Sabbath, and we need it desperately. I was thinking about Don Henley, uh, lead singer of the Eagles, grew up just up the road in Linden, uh, wrote a great song. Uh, and uh, I, I, You hear me talk about the Eagles a lot, probably. I love the Eagles. One of my favorite bands of all time. But this song was called Life in the Fast Lane. You, you know it? Have you heard it? Life in the Fast Lane. And then he uses this great phrase, which totally describes our way of life today. Everything all the time. Life in the fast lane, everything, all the time. Does that not just resonate with you? I mean, that was written decades ago, but this seems to be the way we live. And then he wrote another poignant line in that song, which says, everything all the time, 
sure to make you lose your mind. You feel that? We need Sabbath. We need this speed limit reminder. We need to both recall and recalibrate. And God gives us this gift every seven days, one out of every seven, called the Sabbath. Now, as we said earlier, the Sabbath is not an English word. It's a Hebrew word. It's pronounced Shabbat in Hebrew. We just transliterated it into English and we say Sabbath. It means to stop. It means to rest. It means to be complete or to be finished. So this is what we are to do. One out of every seven days. We're going, 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 going. Stop. Or going back to Loverboy, we work, we get the weekend. Work, weekend, right? It's a great example. And then God says something else in this command. He says, it's not just remember the Sabbath day. He says it's to keep it holy, to keep it holy. Did you know that the first thing God declared holy in the entire Bible wasn't a place like a temple? Uh, It wasn't a person like a priest. It wasn't even a religious activity. The first thing God declared holy in the Bible is a day, time. In creation, on the seventh day, it says he rested in Genesis chapter two, verse three, and he blessed it and he declared it holy. And then you will recognize that because that same phrasing was repeated in verse 11 in Exodus chapter 20. This is what God did. God declared a day holy. And by keeping the Sabbath, by remembering the Sabbath, we keep it holy. Well, how can a holy, how can a day be holy? It was interesting. Now, we think about like holy activity. We think about holiness as a quality of someone. But how can a day be holy? I think we're more familiar with it than maybe we give ourselves credit for. Uh, because all we do is we drop the Y, we add in an I, and then we squish those two words together. And it's a very familiar word. It's holiday. That's what it is. Just like today is Mother's Day. It's a holiday, which means that we set it apart for a special purpose, to celebrate moms. That's what holy means. It's set apart for a special purpose. And so the invitation of the fourth commandment is to set one day a week apart for a special purpose, to keep a day for God, which ultimately is a day for our good. So keep a day set apart for God and for our good, following the what, in starting in verse nine, is the how the how. How do we keep this command? Now, in religions, uh, various religions in the world, they're all about doing more, right? They're all about accomplishing more, about being more pious, about giving more sacrifices. This is how most religions in the world work, but Christianity is so different, and that's exemplified right here in the Sabbath, where God says to keep something holy is not to do more things. It's actually the opposite. It's actually to stop doing things, because we aren't powerful enough to accomplish anything, instead to give that day to God to allow him to continue what only he can do. This is kind of a shadow of what the good news of Jesus Christ is ultimately going to be in the scripture, that it's not about what we do that earns us our salvation, but it's about what Jesus has done for us. Well, that is, this is a type of that, right? We see this happening right here in the Sabbath. It's not about doing more stuff. It's not about following all the rules and guidelines. It's about letting go and making Sabbath not a burden, but a blessing one day out of the week, which ought to be a blessing 
to us. So this is what we see in verse 9 and 10. Not a complicated system of rules and guidelines, but two simple instructions for how to fulfill this command. Verse 9 and 10, the two instructions are this, to labor and to love. Now, I know we just talked about Sabbath is the day that we stop working. But if you go back and read the text, it says that in order to stop working on the seventh day, we've got to put in some really good work for six days. We ought to labor well for six days. That's the first way we can apply this command. It's just to work hard, to give it our all. And you're probably thinking like, well, I already work 40 hours a week, five days a week. You're telling me to work 48? Six days a week? No, that's not actually what I'm saying at all. Because your job, your day job, is only a part of the, what God calls labor and work. In fact, it's kind of only a small part. There's 168 hours a week, if I'm doing my math correctly. If you subtract uh, sleep and eating out of that, you end up with about 100 hours or so, and less than half of that is given to work. So why is it that work has us so worked up and so busy and has so much control over us, right? Well, we're not just talking about our jobs. Labor and work includes so much more. God is talking about, when he says labor and work, he's talking about our partnership with him to bring order to creation. This is what he designed Adam for. If you remember in Genesis chapter one, he creates man and he says that to, to man, the first man, Adam, that he's giving man dominion over the earth, that there was a partnership between God and man to bring order to the earth. A good example of that was naming the animals. I mean, it would be chaos to have all these animals without names, right? So they gave him that job and Adam set off to work naming the animals among many, many other jobs. All that work was to be done six days a week. Now, it also includes lots of other things that we do. It includes things like cultivating our garden, planting, harvesting fruits and vegetables or wheat or whatever you're doing. If you're a farmer, it includes like at home, cooking and cleaning. It includes uh, going to work to manufacture something or build something. It includes um, managing people in our businesses or starting businesses. It includes, you know, trying to keep the weeds from growing and overtaking our lawns by mowing and weeding. I mean, it includes all this is labor and work. It's where we fix broken things. This is what we do for six days. We set out to fix broken things, to restore order to a messed up creation. And all of these things is God's designed them to happen in six days. But on the seventh day, we leave the fixing to God. In other words, it's the day that we stop trying to repair the world and we allow God to repair us. This is what it means to keep the Sabbath, keep it holy to give God that day, to say, I can't fix everything. I'm not supposed to fix everything. God can, I think I'll let him. And there's something really good and holy and God honoring about that. So that's how we do it. We labor well for six days so that we can stop for one. But it's also about love. It's so interesting because the commands don't just 
give us direction for our vertical relationships. They also give us directions for our horizontal relationships. Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments this way. In fact, he was, cha- he was given a challenge uh, in the New Testament, and someone said to him, what's the greatest commandment? And they were trying to trap him because they knew that there were 613 commands and how could any one of them be the greatest? You're supposed to follow all of them, right? Well, then what Jesus did was brilliant. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, and this sums up all the law and the prophets. This beautiful statement from Jesus. And then look at the Ten Commandments. If you look at the first three commandments, don't have any other gods before me, don't make idols, uh, and don't take the Lord's name in vain. All those things are about vertical relationship with God. Love for God. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Deuteronomy would say later, and add you know, strength, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything you are, love God. And then if you look at commandments five through 10, you see love for neighbor. Don't murder them. That's a good way to love them. Don't take their stuff. Don't covet their things, et cetera, et cetera. But then right here in the middle is commandment number four, and it straddles both sides. Yeah, we labor for six days and rest for one as a way that we show God trust. We love God that he is who he is and will do what he says he's gonna do. We yield to him. It's an act of love to him in a vertical relationship. But then in verse 10, it implies that we have responsibility for more than just ourselves. When it comes to Sabbath, we also have to think about the people around us, our horizontal relationships. Yeah, we're not to work on the seventh day, but neither are we to allow our son or daughter, our servants, even our animals to work because we're responsible for so much more. In other words, if our rest comes by insisting that others work or if our, if, if our nonstop work comes at the expense of others' rest, then we're dishonoring the Sabbath. We have to think both vertically and horizontally when it comes to keeping the Sabbath. This is how we do it. It's not just about our labor for six days and stop. It's also about our love for others. So it's a transitional command. Uh, Eugene Peterson said this. He said, our lives are so interconnected uh, that we inevitably involve others in our work, whether we intend to or not. Sabbath keeping is elemental kindness. <laughs> Sabbath keeping is commanded to preserve the image of God in our neighbors so that we see them as they are, not as we need them or want them to be. Isn't that interesting? Because our lives are so much culturally built on using people for our gain God says one day a week, and you ought to lay that down, not just so that it becomes a practice one day a week, but so that it becomes who you are for seven days a week. So Sabbath is where we practice laboring well, stopping, and then loving others well. It's a commitment to two realities, really. I mean, if you think about labor and love, it's a commitment to two realities. The first reality is that I cannot be God demanding more from myself than I'm designed to give. That's how a lot of times we live. I'm just going to put in one more day of work. I'll get what we need. I'll provide. I'll take care of everybody. We want that trip. I'll work harder. And that's how we live. 
If we want it, we got this bootstrap mentality. I'm going to go get it. But Sabbath is a practice where we say, I cannot be God, where I demand more of myself than I'm designed to give. But it's also a commitment to the reality that I must not become Pharaoh, demanding more from others than they are designed to give. This is the story of the Exodus. I mean, here we are at Mount Sinai, only days after the people have been freed from slavery in Egypt. They were there for over 400 years, enslaved by Pharaoh who saw himself as a god. And they were only aware then of of Pharaoh and his ways. That became God to the Israelites. That was their image of God was Pharaoh who demanded more and more and more. The quota went up and up and up. The resources went down and down and down. And every day they were demanded of more. That was what they thought gods did. In fact, that's how a lot of religions are built. Do more with less. But God says, no, 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 that's not it at all. That's not who I am and that's not who I'm calling you to be. Number one, you can't be God because you're not designed to be God. Only one God can be God. Number two is don't fall into the trap of becoming Pharaoh, demanding more from others than they are designed to give. This is what Sabbath does. It helps us live into this reality. It's a commitment to these two realities. So did you notice, uh, as we said earlier, it's not, this is a thou shalt command. <laughs> it doesn't say thou shalt, but that's basically what it is. It's positive. And it comes, both positive commands, out of 10, there's only two, they both come with a reason and a blessing. So we sort of saw what it is in general. We saw how, basically, to fulfill the command in labor and love. And now Moses, words from God to Moses delivered to the people, why? Why would we keep the Sabbath? Well, verse 11 tells us. So look with me at verse 11. It says, this is the reason. For the Lord your God, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in it in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So why do we keep the command of the Sabbath? It's because God made the world to work this way. Work, rest, work, rest, work, rest. When we skimp on Sabbath, we are fighting both the order of creation and the one who created. It reminds me of taking our kids to the beach when they're small. You know what kids love to do in the ocean? They love to fight the waves. Frankly, I'm an adult, I kind of love it too, right? The waves come in and you just like jump into it, you plow into it, it's like, oh, I'm gonna break the wave, you know? And it's so fun at first and you're just over and over and over again, the rhythm of the waves, I'm just fighting them back and forth. And then eventually the elation of it turns to exhaustion. When we skimp on Sabbath, this is what we do to our souls. We fight the rhythm of creation. We fight the God who created. Now you go, no, I'm not, I'm not fighting him. I'm just, I'm just not resting as much as I maybe should be. Or I'm just like, it's not that big of a deal, right? It's not like I went out and murdered somebody, right? Well, this commandment is like maybe one of the most important, kind of central to all of them. And if we don't commit to the why, 
then we're always gonna find ourselves at odds with the creator. So we follow it because this is the way God made the world to work. Now, God's not against our fun. It's not like he doesn't want us to go out and enjoy things and have fun and just always end up exhausted. God wants us to have fun. God wants us to enjoy. In fact, in verse 11, it says that this is a day that not only did God make it holy, but God made it happy. It says he blessed it. I mean, just the real layman's term way to, to translate that is that God made this day happy. And out of seven days, there's one that ought to be happier than all. That's a blessing. And so it's about enjoyment. John Mark Homer defines the Sabbath day as a day to enjoy the world as God intended. A day to enjoy the world as God intended. So God made the world for rest, to be enjoyed. But then God also in Genesis 2 tells us that God rested to model it for the world. God made it that way and then he modeled it for us. Comer goes on to say, God works, so we work. We reflect his image in that way. God rested, so we rest. That's how we reflect his image. So Sabbath is rooted in creation. It's just how the world works. It's God's design. In fact, we've said how all the commandments reveal God's design, right? The, the way for life to work best, the way that we can flourish again. This is one of the kind of the, the central themes of the whole sermon series on Ten Commandments that that it's God's design. It just reveals to his people how he created life to, excuse me, to work best. But then something else happens just a few years down the road from Mount Sinai. 40 years later, uh, the people of, of God, the Israelite people, um, had died off. The whole generation of them had died off in the wilderness because of their disobedience to God. And a new generation of Israelites had been growing up. And now 40 years after Mount Sinai, God is ready to, to lead his people into the promised land. And so this new generation of people ready to you know, experience God's promises are given the Ten Commandments again. Just another reason why we know that they're not irrelevant. They don't go out of style. They weren't just for one people at one time. I mean, they are relevant. And so God gives them all again. And it's almost identical. Deuteronomy chapter five is where you can find this. It's just like the 10 commandments laid out almost word for word, except for one major difference, which is in the fourth commandment, the commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The commandments there, what it is, is there. How is there too? By loving others, working six days, resting the seventh, and then making sure that nobody in your purview is forced to work on the Sabbath either. So the same thing is there on how, but then the why changes. It shifts. And God says in Deuteronomy chapter five, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, work six days, rest on the seventh, take care of your people too, because you were slaves in Egypt and I have set you free. That's interesting, isn't it? So now we see that God isn't just rooting Sabbath in creation. It's also rooted in redemption, in rescue, in restoration. That God is removing his people from tyranny, the tyranny of slavery, and leading them into freedom, a life of freedom and enjoyment. You remember that the people were slaves for 400 years. Pharaoh, who saw himself as a god, was a cruel slave master. More bricks, less straw. This was the, the, the rhythm of living under the tyranny of slavery. 
But God says, I will remove you by my grace from that. I will establish a relationship with you, a covenant relationship where I will always be there for you. And part of that is rest, rest for your soul. God is saying that not only is he creator, but he is far and away distinct from every other God who has ever ever been imagined or invented by men. God is unique. He's creator. He's a God of covenant relationship. He's drastically different. God offers a way out of tyranny. God offers a way back into flourishing by recalibrating his people to the rhythm of work and rest, which is native both to his creation and he as creator. This is who God is. And in this way, Sabbath is more than just a design. It's also a sign, a sign that points to our need for a savior. It's a sign to us, showing us that we too, unable to fulfill all the law, must have rescue and redemption. Something outside of ourselves has to save us from ourselves. And then God steps in with Jesus, his son, the plan all along to provide rescue and redemption for his people. Jesus substituting his perfection for our failure by dying on a cross as a payment for sin so that we might by faith come into relationship with God again, that we might have eternal life, meaning that the way God designed things at the beginning at creation, that we might be restored and redeemed into that kind of relationship and that he might dwell with us again forever. This is the idea. And Sabbath is a sign that points us to it. It's a regular weekly reminder that we need Jesus. We need a savior because creation was tainted by sin but God always intended to rescue us through his son, to redeem us and restore ultimately creation again at the end of time. Jesus alone is the way and Sabbath points us to him. I love what Jen Wilkins says in her commentary about this and I just wanna read this to you and then kind of wrap up. But she, she kind of traces the story of one phrase, it is finished from the time of creation. God says it was good, it was very good to when Jesus hung on the cross in his final breath, he musters up all his energies to say the Greek word tetelestai, which is translated, it is finished, meaning everything needed for salvation has been accomplished. And then at the end of time, when all evil is conquered and punished and creation is restored, he says again, it is finished. Listen to what she says. The banner over the seventh day of creation, it is finished. The banner over the believer at the cross as a new creation in Christ, it is finished. And the banner over the recreation of all things, it is finished. Each time we declare it is finished on our Sabbath observance, we affirm our allegiance to the kingdom that is to come, ordering our lives on earth as it is in heaven. What a beautiful way to describe why we Sabbath. Because it aligns us with God in how he creates in how he redeems, and ultimately how he restores. The root word of restoration, rest. (laughs) Isn't that cool? So the Ten Commandments aren't irrelevant. They're not just symbolic. They're God's design. 
They're a sign pointing us to Jesus. And then also we know as believers, they are there strategically for us to be refined, to be shaped into the likeness of Jesus who kept all the commandments perfectly. So as we reach into these commands and live them out, we look more like our Savior. We are refined. But the call isn't just to be a better Christian. Sometimes this happens in church. We go, hey, here's, a, here's an ideal, here's a goal. You just need to do better, okay? That's not the call. What we're saying here is that God is giving us an invitation in this command, not just to be a better Christian, but an invitation to in increasingly enjoy life the way that God designed it to be on earth as it will be in heaven. This is the call. So how do we do it? I just wanna give you a few tips as we close out today. Uh, the first is this, that your day of Sabbath ought to be a day that's anchored in worship and rest. Anchored by worship and rest. Like if there's anything you're gonna do in a 24 hour period, one day a week, every single week, it ought to include worship and rest. This is why we worship on Sundays. This is why we get together today. The New Testament established this day called the Lord's Day based on the resurrection of Jesus. The ancient Hebrews observed the Sabbath on the seventh day, which would have been Saturday. So now we saw the shift into a Sunday worship and we observe that today. But guess what? It's not just that we come to worship one day a week. It's that we become the kind of people who worship all the time. This is what we're here for, right? And so we observe this together in fellowship and community and we enjoy each other and we help spur each other on. And all this is an act of worship more than just it is a time to be enjoyed, although it is both. Uh, we also ought to rest, meaning like take a break, like take some time just to yourself and to your family. You need it. Um, Eugene Peterson said that the Sabbath is a day to pray and to play. That's a great way to think about it. Anchored by worship and rest, pray and play. Isn't that a cool picture? Don't you want that? I want that. I want that every week. Why don't we do it? Uh, so uh, your Sabbath doesn't have to just be on Sunday. It's a great day for most of you to come to worship and then to take the rest of the day just focused on God, playing, enjoying life, enjoying the world as he created it to be, right? So uh, anchored by prayer, excuse me, worship and rest, pray and play. Second is that our attention turns easily to God. Like if you were gonna describe your Sabbath day in, in a way, I would say it need to be described in a way that your attention is turned easily to God, that you're not distracted by work so much that you forget who your day is for, right? Uh, that you're not so deep in the social media scroll uh, that you lose an hour of your 24 and don't feel any better for it. Or then like, let me just step on your toe for a second. It's not football season, so I feel comfortable doing this. If this was like, you know, January and the Super Bowl was coming, I wouldn't do this. But watching football six hours on a Sunday afternoon and just like zoned in with your wings and whatever else you got at the expense of everybody else so that you can do your thing, that's not very worshipful or restful. I mean, you may be like a potato, but you're not gonna come out of that feeling rejuvenated. You're actually living into like more consumerism and commercialism and, and you know, other things that aren't good for you. And I'm not anti-football, I love football. I think it's great. I just think like for a design for Sabbath, it doesn't help you turn your attention to God easily. I mean, you can do it, it's just not easy. I'm saying build your day where your attention can turn to God easily. 
Enjoy nature. Get outside, take a walk. Be with people you love. Be with people who encourage you. Third, be available to your family and friends. This is very similar to the one before. If you're gonna describe the perfect Sabbath day, it would include that. Just be available to your family and friends. Don't be a hermit. Don't be like Aaron Rodgers, speaking of football. Uh, did y'all hear about that? The Green Bay Packers quarterback who's now maybe going to the Jets. Uh, he spent three days in a dark room. Like that's not Sabbath. Sabbath isn't isolationism. It's to be, to be practiced in community. It's to be enjoyed together. So be available to your family and friends. Uh, have dinners together, like have fun parties. Like that kind of, that's Sabbath, right? That's good. Fourth, accomplishment isn't the measure of success. Every other day, you can have your to-do list. Six days a week, put your to-do list together. But on the seventh day, just let it go. Throw it away. Leave a blank page. Or write, be with God, be with people. (laughs) Something like that. Accomplishment isn't the measure of success. I don't need to work more for more money or get that promotion, whatever. If If it comes at the expense of Sabbath, it's not worth it. Accumulation isn't necessary. We live in a world that's just gonna drive you to go buy more and get more. But look at anybody in the world with all the stuff in the world. Are they happy? They're not. It's not what it takes to be happy. I don't need to buy more. I don't need to sell more. In fact, if I have a day a week where I look around my house and I intentionally say to myself and to God, wow, I have enough you know what that frees me up to do? Be generous. And that's like where the real fun starts. So now we're not just trying to get more, but then it like lets us loose to give more. And then we do what verse 10 says, and we create Sabbath for other people by giving things away. And this is really beautiful. And then finally, acknowledge I am not God. I'm not God. See, in Sabbath, we express the image of God, both in our work and our rest. We also imitate Jesus because he did this perfectly. And then simultaneously, what we're doing is we're learning to live within our limits because the limitless God has in his sovereignty made us with limits so that we can be pointed to him and enjoy him more. One writer called this practicing death because the world's gonna go on without you someday. So why would we be fooled into thinking it can't go on without us today? Once a week, practice death. I mean, don't like, actually, still be with your your people and have fun and enjoy the world, right? But just realize the world doesn't depend on you. Kevin DeYoung, I love his definition of Sabbath. Just to close out, he said, Sabbath is an island of get to in an ocean of have to. Our world is a bunch of have to, heaping, heaping, and heaping pressure on you to do more and be more, accomplish more. And it takes away joy. But Sabbath is like a, a desert island that you discover where you find fulfillment and pleasure and joy, happiness. It's the antidote to our cultural epidemic. Pretty big. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And as our worship team comes up, I wanna encourage you just to prayerfully receive these words. He says in verse 28, come to me, 
all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, the first step to the life that God has designed for you and dreams for you is for you to let go of your striving, to let go of your effort to reach heaven on your own and to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, to have faith that what he did on the cross is enough for you to have eternity with God, to know God and to enjoy the world as God intended it to be enjoyed. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your rest, for your peace that comes in Jesus alone. I pray that as we wrap up our time of focusing on you together as a community, that God, you would send us out into the world to be people of peace, people of rest, people who live in the rhythm of creation, who enjoy life to the max because we live it in your design. God, may the world look at our lives and go, what, what are you doing that makes you so happy? And maybe we be able to point to you who created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, who rescues us from the slavery of sin and sets us free into eternal life with you. God, my prayer today is that anyone who does not know Jesus by faith would take that step maybe without even leaving the room, they would take that step to put Jesus in charge of their lives, trusting him by faith for salvation, the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, for the light burden that he gives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.